0: And see good days, must keep his tongue from evil and his lips from deceitful speech. He must turn from evil and do good, he must seek peace and pursue it, for the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Now, as we read that passage, I want to re- recall to you and remember that the key thought we're dealing with here is found in. Verse 10 is found in that phrase that Peter quotes from Psalm thirty-four whoever would love life and see good days. We're trying to get a handle on living and loving the good life. All of us, I presume, want to live and love the good life, wouldn't we? Sure. And so the question is how do you learn to love life? How do you learn to see good days? What components are essential? How has God designed life? How has God designed His creation so that, in fact, as we follow His design, we will love life and see good days? So we're trying to get a handle on His design. And we've been noting the past two weeks that the elusive good life is the rather disappointing pursuit of our society. Everyone's running after the good life. They find it elusive and they can't get a hold of it. It just is not something that they can... Hold on to. In fact, one song says, Oh the good life. Full of fun seems to be the ideal. Oh the good life tries to hide all the sadness you feel. Boy, isn't that telling. People trying to stuff their life with all manner of things to cover up their sadness and their emptiness and their frustration. Everybody, may I suggest, pursues the good life. And our society's value system, you don't have to be a rocket scientist to see this. But our society's value system seems geared toward the good life, and the good life basically in our culture is synonymous with sin. It's real simple. The good life in our culture, in our society, is synonymous with sin. Sin is the good life. Overindulgence in everything, no limits. Don't tell me what I can or can't do. As an example, I read an interview some time ago with a well known celebrity, and She was a woman who clearly has prostituted herself and perverted her life into some kind of symbol of the good life. She lives simply for money. She lives for sex. She lives for the body beautiful and sex. She is the epitome of the symbol of the good life. In short, she has it all. She has it all. She has fame. She has notoriety. She has men. She has sex appeal. She has the media on her side. She has maintained the physical form that is part of the idolatry of our culture. And she is loving and living the good life. She has abandoned herself to a lewd kind of sexual exhibitionism that has become her trademark. And in the interview... I was fascinated as I continued to read this interview. She was asked about her critics, those who would criticize her about her the performances she gives and her lifestyle and the kinds of things that she indulges in. And she said, those people who criticize me have no moral standards. I wish they were moral. I read that. I said, I had to reread it. I said, did I miss something? Did they leave something out? Those people who criticize me have no moral standards. I thought, oh my. Something is terribly amiss here. Someone is clueless. And she went on to punctuate her continuing remarks about those who would criticize her with four-letter words. And at the time, it seemed to me that she was the model, she was the personification, if you will, of the incredible indulgence, indulgence that says, I live with my own lust being expressed without limit. Whatever passionate perversions may entertain me, these things I have every right to and to do. No one can tell me that I can't do them. There's no moral standard against them. And this is the good life. This is the good life. This is the tenor of our society today. And all of us have come out of that same environment to one degree or another. All of us know what we're talking about. Maybe certainly not to the degree that I'm identifying here. The reality is that virtue, virtue... What you and I would call virtue, what we would recognize as that which is good and wholesome and virtuous. Virtue has been isolated to be whatever I want it to be. We understand that we live in an environment where everything is relative now. There are no more standards, no more absolutes, no more real right and wrong. All of our children and, and many of you as you've been growing up in our, in our school system have been raised with what we call a values-free education People aren't allowed to tell us what's right and wrong. They aren't allowed to attach values to your education and or your behavior. And this is the fruit of it. This is what we're experiencing now. No holds barred. All the limits are thrown off. People are doing what they want to do, indulging themselves, and they're saying, this is the good life. And anybody who criticizes it is immoral. If a person decides to be a full-blown pervert and flaunt it, you can't condemn that person. You can't condemn their behavior. you would be thrown in jail now. Do you know that in the state of California? If the laws that are before our present legislature are passed in this next month, some of the things that we hold abhorrent and we disagree with and the Bible speaks against, uh, and if you speak against them, you can be thrown in jail. Amazing. We don't have any moral standards any longer. For being critical, judgmental, we're called unloving and intolerant. Our culture has tragically uh, distorted its view of what makes life meaningful. Isaiah says it this way, very simply. Isaiah chapter 5, verse 20. He says, woe to those who call evil good. And that's exactly what we're seeing. What is the good life? Is that what it means to love life and see good days? To just indulge my passions, whatever I want, whenever I want, however I want? Are there no moral standards? Is that the good life? I think we all know that that life is empty. I think we know that that life is destructive. That life is indeed damning. That's the reality of it. The wages of sin is what? Death. It's death. death. Oh, the sinful life has its moments, doesn't it? It has its indulgences, can be pleasing, but there's no true fulfillment. No true fulfillment. The writer to the Hebrews says it this way, the pleasures of sin are fleeting. Oh, sin may may bring me some momentary pleasure, but that pleasure is fleeting. It doesn't last. It's not fulfilling. The good life is not anything that the world offers. Let me say that again. The good life is not anything that the world offers. That's why John says, don't love this world or the things of this world. Don't go after that. Love of God's not found there. So the good life is not anything the world offers. Solomon had it all, didn't he? Solomon, we saw that in the last couple of weeks. In fact, he had more, if you will, than any of our modern celebrities have. The Queen of Sheba was overwhelmed by what he had. He had more money, he had more power, he had more notoriety. And yet, we're told in Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 17, despite having it all, having seen it all, having done it all, what was his conclusion? He said, I hated life. I hated life. You think, wait a minute, you got it all. You got the big house in Manhattan Beach, you got the two Porsches in the driveway, the Mercedes in the garage. You got the swimming pool, you got the big bank accounts. You got it all. You got everything. Doesn't satisfy. Interestingly, I think I noted this last week, but I want to come back and revisit it. Interestingly, the, at the end of the book of Ecclesiastes, at the end of his life, really, he comes to a conclusion that could have saved him all of his pain and all of his frustration if he had only done this. He comes to the end of his life. He looks over this whole thing. Hates it all because he lived it for his own indulgence. He lived it for his own indulgence. And then he gives this very, very pertinent advice. Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 1. Remember your creator in the days of your what? Before the days of trouble come and the years approach when you will say, I find no pleasure in them. Boy, does that, is that sound counsel? What's he saying? He says you better get your life on course early. How many would agree to that? The earlier the better. The good life, the life that is full of good days is the life very simply, that remembers God. God says, honor me, and I will what? Honor you. It's a life that remembers him. The life that is set on the Lord. Solomon finally came to that conclusion. All of the money, all the fame, all the accomplishments, all the women, all of it, the riches, everything, he says, brought him nothing but emptiness. He said it was all Meaningless. Everything, he said, is meaningless A chasing after the wind. None of it amounted to anything. None none of it fulfilled him. So he says, remember God, who is the key to the good life. Remember God. And, of course, Peter now is writing to us. And he's writing to us about the good life. And he speaks directly to that issue again in verse 10, that phrase, whoever would love life and see good days. And again, I think that would include all of us. Certainly, those in the Old Testament, people in the Old Testament wanted to see good days. They wanted to love life. Because Peter's quoting from where? Psalm 34 in the Old Testament. Those people wanted to see good days. They wanted to love life. That's always been the pursuit of man, hasn't it? Just give me a good day. I want to love life. I want to have a good life. But how is that accomplished? How is that accomplished? Well, the answer Peter tells us, Peter tells us that the answer to loving life and seeing good days is found in the absence of problems in our life. Really? I mean... I mean, it's a good day. If I got no problems, right? I love life. If I got no problems. He says the answer comes in the fact that I have everything my heart desires in terms of possessions, right? No. The good life is there. Are you sure? Of course not. We've talked about that. Remember who Peter was originally writing to? Is he writing to people who are kind of cruising through life, skating? Everything's well for them, no problems, they got it all. No, he's writing to people who are suffering, suffering unjustly, unfairly. Most of them have lost everything in their life. They're 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 uh, 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 aliens and strangers now. Some have lost members of their family. Many of them who are. Um, are running literally for their life. So Peter says to them, In that in that situation, in that environment, in the midst of all that trouble, in the midst of that grief, imagine you get a letter from Peter that says, Hey guys, if you mean to love life and see good days, you're going, What is he saying? God means for us, in spite of our circumstances, He means for us in spite of what's going on, even the evil, bad, unfair tough times he means for us to love life and see good days he says it in his word so peter says here's what you need here's here's four things that are essential if in fact you are to love life and see good days no matter what your circumstances may be we said the first one was what you must come to life with what the right kind of attitude. Not just any old attitude, you got to come to life with the right attitude. People say, you, you need an attitude, you need to change your attitude. Oh, okay, great. What should I change it to? What kind of attitude should I have? We, we speak in global terms. Where we, we don't speak with much specificity because we don't know ourselves. So we go where? We go to the manufacturer's handbook, and the manufacturer's handbook tells us what components make up the right kind of attitude. Isn't that glorious? Aren't you glad that God's provided all this for us? Everything we need. So in verse 8, he tells us those five components that really do make up the right attitude, this is a weird approach life with. And those five components are what? Before he puts them up on the board, on the screen. What are they? What's the first one? Be harmonious. Be a harmonious person. As far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. That's how Paul says it in Romans chapter 12. As far as it depends on you, live with peace with everyone. Be a harmonious person. Jesus says it this way Blessed are the peacemakers. Be someone, be someone who is always working for harmony to bring about conciliation or reconciliation. Isn't that the message of this book? Reconciliation? The healing of relationships. So we're to be harmonious people. What's the second thing that characterizes our attitude, or should certainly? Sympathetic. I'm with you. I'm with you. I may not understand what's going on. I don't understand the depth of your suffering and your difficulty, but I'm with you. Sympathetic means to suffer with someone, to be with them, and to rejoice with them. You know, grieve with those who grieve, and mourn with those who mourn, and rejoice with those who rejoice. What's the third one? Love as brothers. Have a genuine, affectionate love. Not a distant, cold, I love you with the love of the Lord. (laughs) No, a genuine love. It's affectionate and and willing to to extend to your brother. And the fourth? Oh, yeah, compassionate, tender-hearted. Yes. down deep inside. And fifth well, not last what what is it? Humble, be humble. Be humble. Don't insist on your rights. We've been talking about this haven't we don't? Be willing to take the lowest position. Humble yourself. That's the right attitude. It starts there. It starts there. Jesus says if if you're going to if you're going to love life and see good days, you've got to come to life with the right attitude. And those five components make up that attitude. If those components are missing, you have the wrong attitude. You may try to be a cheerful person. You may try to be a nice guy, a nice lady. It ain't going to cut it. Because people are going to find your goat, aren't they? They're going to know those buttons to push, and they're going to push them. We'll see that when we get to uh, verses 13 through 16 for next week. So it starts with our attitude, our attitude. does not depend on circumstances, doesn't depend on possessions, doesn't depend on anything else. It starts with the attitude. And that opens the door for the second of our four uh, uh, characteristics of this kind of life. What, what's, a, what's the second one? We talked about that last week? I must, I must what? I must learn to have the right response, and more particularly, the right response to what? Evil. That which is unfair. I don't think that's fair. That's not fair. What are you do about it? You have some choices in front of you. You're going to kick and scream. You're going to argue. You're going to fight. That's not fair. It's not. It may not be fair. What should be your response? The response is twofold, isn't it? Our response is first not to what. Not to retaliate. Remember that we said that. We don't retaliate. We don't. We don't uh, give evil for evil. We don't give insult for insult. That's the negative part of the response. There's a positive side. What's the positive side? Instead of retaliating, we we bless. We give a blessing. Try that. Try that. When somebody's been unfair, when someone's lied about you, and someone's mistreated you, and they've and they've gone behind your back and betrayed you and betrayed you, try that to bless them. Get on your face before God and say, God bless them. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? We want to call fire from heaven down on them. Get them, God. Show them where they're wrong. No, we're to bless them. But remember, it all starts with what? The right attitude. The right attitude. Don't leave off that word right. It's the right attitude. The right attitude leads to the right response. Very good. Isn't this exciting? Okay, let's go on to the third of our four dynamics that contribute to loving life and seeing good days. Here's the third one. The right standard. The right standard. If we are indeed to love life, if we are to see good days, then life must be built on the right standard or the right authority. The question is, what standard have you built and are you building your life on? What authority? People talk about a worldview. People talk about... uh, their choices in life and, and the choices they make and why they make those choices and on what basis. And most people are just kind of blown in the wind, whatever, you know, whichever way the wind's blowing. Well, I, I think I'll go with that crowd. It seems right. Proverbs says there's a way that seems right to a man, but its end is what? It's death. There has to be a standard. And again, we're living in a culture that's thrown out all the absolutes, thrown out all the standards. Everything now is relative. Well, you know, you say that that's right. Well, I don't think that what you say. I My right is people are just illogical today. You have to have a standard. You have to have a ruler a straight edge by which you measure your life up against to see where you deviate from the norm. What do you believe and why do you believe it? What do you believe and why do you believe it? If you can't answer those questions, you're in deep doo doo. Do you know that? You're in deep trouble. You have no testimony. Beloved, if you and I cannot answer those two simple questions, what do I believe and why do I believe it? What's my standard? What's my basis? Verses 10 through 12, Peter quotes from Psalm 34. Where's he quoting from? The Old Testament. He's quoting from the, what? Scriptures. Why is he quoting from the Scriptures? Scriptures. Because in verses 8 and 9, he set forth his thesis. He's made a statement. He said, this is how we should go. People are going to say, well, how do you know that's how we should go? Well, he puts up, pulls out his handy dandy Old Testament. And he says, because it says it right here. He appeals to the authority of the word of God. That's how I can say verses 8 and 9. That's how I can tell you to have the right kind of attitude. That's how I can tell you not to retaliate. Because it says it right here in the Word of God. You see? Peter has a what? Standard. He has the right standard for his life. He's saying you must live your life according to the Word of God. The decisions you make must be based on the Word of God. Not on what you read in the newspaper. Or the local, the, the most recent popular book. It's this book. It's this book. Are you reading this book? Beloved, are we reading this book? To use Peter's words, are we craving? Are we craving the pure spiritual milk of the word so that by it we may grow up in our salvation? Is this the standard for my life? I say, oh yes, I base my life on the Bible. But I don't know anything about it. (laughs) Can't quote you anything. Can't tell you where anything is. Peter would be saying to us, he'd say, look, he says, you're living in a hostile hostile situation. You're living in, in grave difficulty. You're probably wondering how life couldn't get any worse could be much worse than it is so i'm telling you to live a certain way i'm telling you to live harmoniously sympathetically i'm telling you love as brothers i'm telling you You should be compassionate and humble don't retaliate bless instead he says i'm telling you all this and you're probably saying to yourself this can't be right you gotta be kidding this doesn't seem reasonable it doesn't make sense humanly speaking it doesn't make sense because humanly speaking, we say we ought to be able to strike back. We ought to be able to retaliate. We ought to be able to just hit them once. <laughs> just once. I won't do it again. Just get them one time. In our humanness, there's that part of us that's still yet laden with sin that, that the impulse is there, isn't it? That That makes sense. I can get behind eye for eye and tooth for tooth. But this bless those who persecute you and mistreat you. Go two miles when they say go one. Turn to them the other cheek. If they want your, your shirt, give them your coat too. Oh, wait a minute. This doesn't make sense. You're right. It doesn't make sense, humanly speaking. You've got to have eyes to see, would you agree? You've got to have eyes to see. You've got to look and you say, whew, this is God's way. This is not the world's way, this is God's way. And so Peter says, just in case there's some question in your mind as to what I've said, just in case there's some doubt about what I've instructed you and told you to do, it comes directly from the word of God. Hence he quotes from Psalm 34. That's his source. Isn't it beautiful? Do you see how you've got to have the right standard in your life? We stand on the rock of the Word of God. That is our foundation. Beloved, if you want to love life, if you want to see good days, then simply obey God. Obey His Word. But in order to obey Him, you've got to know what it says, right? And in order to know what it says, you've got to read it, you've got to study it, you've got to meditate on it. Base your life on the Word of God. You say, Why? Why? Well, let me just give you some verses. These are great. Because the Word of God is eternal. Look at this. Psalm 119, verse 89. Great verse. Your Word, O Lord, is eternal. It stands firm in the heavens. Man, there's nothing more solid than the Word of God. Again, from 1 Peter chapter 1, we, I just rehearsed these verses with you. Let me just go again. Verse 22, chapter 1 of 1 Peter. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth, so that you have sincere love for your brothers, love one another deeply from the heart, for you have been born again not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the what? Living and enduring word of God. Living and enduring? Ah, look at what he says. Now he goes and he quotes. From where? the Old Testament Scriptures. He's backing himself up again. He's testing to the the truth of the living and enduring Word of God. And he says, all men are like grass. We just pass off the scene. All their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall. But the Word of God stands forever. Somebody say, Hallelujah! Hallelujah. Phew! This is it! It's right here! You don't need to read How to Win Friends and Influence People. You don't need to read the seven, what is it? Seven things of highly effective people. I have three copies of that book on my shelf. When it first came out, people just handed me, I got three, I got a hard copy, copy, hardcover copy two. I opened it up, I started reading, I said, this is, I don't need this. I don't need this. Look at it, he says. He says, and this is the word that was preached to you, chapter 2, verse 1. Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, slander of every kind. Like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk. We've studied that verse, didn't we? So that by it may grow up in your salvation. Now that you've tasted that the Lord is good, oh, I want more of this. I've tasted. That God is faithful to His Word. He's faithful to His Word. I've tasted I want more. In order to get more, I've got to know more. God's Word is sufficient for life. May I suggest to you, God's Word is sufficient for life. Look at First Second Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. He says, all Scripture is God-breathed. It's given by God and comes from the very mouth of God, the very heart of God, the very mind of God. It's useful for what? Teaching, rebuke, and correcting, training, and righteousness so that the man or woman of God may be, what? Thoroughly equipped for every good work. Does that sound like life? Do you want to love life and see good days? You've got to have the right standard in your life. Look at Psalm 119, verse 105. Great verse. Your word is what? a lamp to my feet and a light for my path. How do I know which way to go? Which, because you, you have shown me. He said, go this way. Oh, yes, okay, I'll go that way. Even in the smallest choices of life, there's wisdom in God's word, instruction in God's word, even for the smallest choices of life. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. The word of God reveals our very thoughts and attitudes. Look at this. For the the word of God is living and active. Don't you love that? It's living and active. It's not some dead old dusty musty book. It's living and active. It's it's sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to the dividing of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. You and I can't even do that. People say, why did you do that? You say, I don't know. And we attribute all sorts of motives, and we think we can do, we can do something from a pure motive. No one, no fallen human being can do anything from a pure motive. Because we're by definition and by nature imperfect, so everything we do is going to be imperfect, get it? I can't figure out what I do and why I do it. I may approximate a motivation, but it's mixed in with all these other motivations. Only the Word of God can help me understand. I need this in my life. Because I read it and I go away from it and I meditate on it, and guess what? It begins to clarify. It begins to reach down. It begins to clarify and convict me and help me see why and what and so forth. Am I making sense? John chapter 17, verse 17. Jesus says, sanctify them by the truth. Marvelous. He says, your word is truth. This is the truth. We tell people, just, just give me the truth. Just tell me the truth, right? Isn't that what we want? Just tell me the truth. God says, okay, I'll tell you the truth. It's right here. It's the truth. John chapter one verse fourteen. And the word became flesh. Woo! There it is. There it is. The living, breathing word of God. Alive. Jesus the Christ. The word incarnate. Isn't that beautiful? Jesus says in John chapter 15, verse 7, we'll close with this. He says, if you remain in me and my, what? My words remain in you. Oh, I love this. Look at this. Ask whatever you wish, and it will be given you. Man, oh man. You remember the comparison that Jesus made between Mary and Martha? Martha chose the, what, better part? She just chose to sit there and soak up and look in his eyes and just, Google over Jesus and be with Him and be with Him and be with Him and abide with Him, abide with Him, remain in Him, remain in Him, and listen to Him. See, how do you know what to ask? How do you know what to ask unless you spend time with Him? Oh, well, I'm getting to God. Oh, now I know. Now I see. Okay. Is that cool? Am I making sense? So the question you want to ask is this. What authority, what authority, what standard do you use for your life? Real simple. Really. Not apparently, really. There's a difference. You know that. There's the apparent standard and there's the real standard. Do I read this or do I read Time Magazine and the newspaper? Do I read this or do I read The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People? Do I read How to Win Friends and Influence People? You say, yeah, but those are good books. I don't care. Yeah, great. But are you reading this? Are you reading this? So that you can base your life and your choices every single moment of every single day on the right. Otherwise, you're not going to be able to love life and see good days. You're not. You've got to have the right standard. And that leads us to the fourth and final. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Now, this verse, verse 12, has inherent in it accountability, responsibility, and a healthy fear. Would you agree? God is watching. Do you read that in that verse? Is that a fair reading? God is watching? Though that is true, that's not the primary point. That's not the primary point. That's not the primary issue here. I could preach that, and it would preach very well, wouldn't it? God is watching. You better get your act together. Why? Because God is watching. And I don't know about you, but probably the same thing happened to you. As a little kid growing up, my mother told me, rather emphatically that God saw everything I did. She says, God sees everything you do. She says, I may not see it, and your father may not see what you do, but I don't want you ever to forget, God sees everything you do. I want you to know that that was indelible. That marked me for the rest of my life. That has stayed with me. God sees everything I do. And it is true. But that's not Peter's point. Peter's point is more subtle. And it's beautiful. I hope you see this. The references to the eyes of the Lord. God's eyes. The references often indicate simply that he is all-seeing. He sees everything. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 13. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of Him to whom we must give account. So God sees everything. So when the Bible talks about the eyes of God, the eyes of the Lord, that's one way in which it is approached. He judges everybody. Proverbs chapter 15, verse 3. The eyes of the Lord are everywhere, keeping watch on the wicked and the good. Psalm eleven four. The Lord is in His holy temple. The Lord is on His heavenly throne. He observes the sons of men. His eyes examine them. Ooh. But that that phrase, the eyes of the Lord, can also indicate, as I believe here, that He views the righteous. He looks upon the righteous, those who... Trust Him. Those who are in right relationship with Him. Those who are walking according to His ways. The righteous, He views them with favor. This is beautiful. Psalm 33, verses 18 and 19. But the eyes of the Lord are on those who fear Him. On those whose hope is in His unfailing love. To deliver them from death and to keep them alive in famine. And even the quote from our own psalm, Psalm 34. Psalm 34. That Peter quotes, verse 15, The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and His ears are attentive to their cry. Again, the righteous, in in the language of the Psalms, describes those who are standing in right covenant relationship with Him, and those who are, in fact, living out that relationship. They are living appropriately, in trust with Him. Appropriate behavior. And that appropriate behavior is spoken of in verses 10, and 11 of our passage. He says, this is how you should live. This is how you should live. Now, Peter's logic is this. It's very simple. Peter's logic, he says, you can have confidence. Now, remember, who's he talking to? He's talking to people who are suffering terribly. He's talking to people who are thinking, where's God? Has he abandoned us? Has he forgotten us? Does you know what's happening to us? We're out here. We're suffering. We're giving way to fear. Peter says, in effect, no, no, no. You can have confidence. You can have confidence. The confidence of God's watchful care. Of His loving grace. Of His abundant provision and blessing and protection. You can have confidence. Even if you're being persecuted unfairly, treated unfairly, even if things are not going the way you think they ought to go, you can have confidence that God's eyes are upon you. And His ears are attentive to your... The word really is not just prayer. The the word really is please to your cries, to your petitions. His ears are attending to them. Why? Why can I have that confidence? Because I'm living with the right attitude. I'm living with the right responses. I'm living my life based on the right standard according to the will of God. I'm in a smack in the middle of God's will. And so therefore I can have confidence that His eyes are on me. He hears my prayers. He cares what's going on. He has a plan and a purpose, and he will rescue me. I can have confidence. I don't have to flip out. I don't have to retaliate. I don't have to worry. I don't have to to go, ah! Where's God when you need him? You see, that very statement, evidence, is what? The wrong attitude. Wrong responses. And your life is not based on his standard. You're out there. You're out there in left field. But you can have, you can have confidence. I love this. Turn to 2 Chronicles. You've got to see this. I didn't do this last night, I just found it today. And this is so rich 2 Chronicles, chapter 32. This is King Hezekiah. How many have heard of King Hezekiah? This is so rich. Now Hezekiah is the son of King Ahaz, and Ahaz has led the people off into idolatry. It's all a mess. You can read about that in the preceding chapters. But Hezekiah ascends to the throne of Judah at age 25. He rules for 29 years. and in that space of time, he restores the worship. He breaks down all of the places of idolatry. He brings the people back into right relationship with God. He restores the sacrifices. He restores the temple. It's beautiful. The people are just absolutely flourishing under his leadership. Now look at this. Chapter 32. After all that Hezekiah had so faithfully done, now notice, Sennacherib, king of Assyria, came and invaded Judah. Now you think, where's God? God should be protecting him. Hey, trials and problems are inevitable, right? Even for the righteous. So here comes Sennacherib, the king of Assyria, to invade Judah. He laid siege to the fortified cities, thinking to conquer them for himself. When Hezekiah saw that Sennacherib had come and that he intended to make war in Jerusalem, he consulted with his officials and the military staff about blocking off the water from the springs outside the city, and they helped him. A large force of men assembled, and they blocked off all the springs and the stream that flowed through the land. Why should the kings of Assyria come and find plenty of water, they said. And then he worked hard repairing all the broken sections of the wall and building towers on it. He built another wall outside that one, reinforced the supporting terraces of the city of David. And he made large numbers of weapons and shields, so he got prepared for warfare. He's under attack. He appointed military officers over the people, assembled them before him in the square of the city gate, and encouraged them. He encouraged them with these words. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of the king of Assyria and the vast army with him. For there is a greater power with us than with him. And with him is only the arm of flesh, but with us is the Lord our God to help us and fight our battles. And the people gained what? Confidence from what Hezekiah the king of Judah said. They had confidence. Why? Because they had been walking rightly. They had been restored in their relationship with God. The worship was all back. The people were giving. Everything was happening. Everything, all that God had set forth in His Word was being restored. They now had a right attitude. They were responding rightly. They were, their life was based on the right standard again. And Hezekiah gave them confidence. Sure, Sennacherib's at our door. Yes, we're going to put up the barriers. Yes, we're going to get ready to defend. But you know what? His arms only flesh. Now look at this. Then the king of Assyria comes down. We won't read that whole thing. And he just taunts them and taunts them and taunts them. Mocks their God. And you're sitting in in the city locked up behind those city walls, thinking, Come on, God. Do you hear what he's saying about you? You've got to see this. This whole passage devoted to what Sennacherib is doing and all these words. Now look at this. <laughs> this is a getcha. Verse 21. And the Lord sent an angel who annihilated all the fighting men, the leaders and the officers in the camp of the Assyrian king. <laughs> One verse. Boom! Annihilated them. Annihilated them. <laughs> You can have confidence in the face of injustice, suffering, trials, threats, persecution. You can have confidence, beloved, if you're living rightly, if you've got the right attitude, if you're responding rightly, if your life's based on the right standard, you can have the right confidence that God is on your side. The Lord is watching over you. His eyes are upon you. But he says, if you look back again at 1 Peter, he says, the face of the Lord is what? Against those who do evil. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Obviously, his face of the Lord was against Sennacherib, right? Look with me at first Peter chapter 5, verse 5, the second part of verse 5, 1 Peter. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Kind of is reflective of what we've been talking about, huh? How many, want, how many want God to give them grace, favor, help? What should you do? Humble yourself. Have the right attitude. Be willing to respond rightly. Be willing to trust God in the midst of whatever. Be willing to trust God. Do it His way. Do it His way. And He says... I will rescue you. I will give you grace. Second Corinthians, Paul experienced that. Just Chapter 12, verse 9. Paul experienced it. Remember, he said, God, remove this thorn from me. Whatever it was, whatever it was that plagued his life, remove this thorn. And God says, I'm not going to remove the thorn, but I'll give you grace to deal with it. You'll be able to deal with it. God, I need your grace. You see, it's that grace. It's that grace that God gives us that enables us and allows us because we're now we're postured right. We can receive it. If your back is turned and you're doing your own thing, leaning on your own understanding, how in the world can you receive from Him? Am I making sense? So, beloved, if we want to love life, if we want to see good days, have the right attitude have the right responses, have the right standard, and have the right confidence. No matter how great the hostility or severe the persecution or unfair the treatment, no matter, no matter how difficult or painful the trials and the circumstances, have the right attitude, have the right responses, have the right standard, and have the right confidence. You can live the good life you can experience the good life in the confidence that the Lord is watching. The Lord is watchful over you. I'm reminded of the, of the hymn that we sing not all, not all that often. His eye is on the sparrow and he watches over me. Isn't that a beautiful thing? Oh, I love that. In fact, we're going to sing it, aren't we, Al? Yeah. We can live the good life in the confidence, beloved, that the Lord is watching and He knows how much we can handle. He knows what He's doing. He is still sovereign. He's still on the throne. No one's usurped it. He's in absolute, total control. He knows. He'll take care. And I can't resist noting verses 13 and 14 in anticipation next week as we close. Peter asks in verse 13, this is marvelous. See, he's setting us up for this. He says, who's going to harm you if you are eager to do good? But if you should suffer for what is right, you are still, what, blessed. He's saying, in effect, whoever is going to harm you, whoever is going to take away the good life, because what the good life's where? It's in here, isn't it? Who can rob you of the good life? Nobody. Nobody can take it away. Certainly if you're zealous for good. Certainly if you, because God is watching over you, God is willing to be attendant to your pleas and to your cries and to your needs when you're living the way he's called you to live. But even if you should suffer, even if maybe that would happen, Even if there's a threat, he says, for doing what is right, still you are blessed. Amen. Lord, thank you. Thank you for the confidence that you give us. Thank you, Lord, for the incentive to live rightly and to honor you and to line up our life with your standard. Lord, indeed, that we may love life and see good days. Father, as we come to the communion table, and Lord Jesus, as we remember your death and look forward to your coming again, cement these things into our minds and our hearts. Lord, don't let us ever forget what a right attitude is all about. Don't let us ever forget to respond rightly, not react or retaliate. Lord, give us a A fresh new hunger for your word, a zeal to read it, to know it, to live it. Lord, that we may have that great confidence. Not afraid of anything. Not anxious for anything. Help us, O Lord. After all, you came and you lived and died. You gave your life for us, that we may have life and have it to the full. And that's, Lord, what we crave. Thank you. Amen. The communion servers are going to distribute communion to us, as always, when we do take communion together. And if you are a guest and you're a Christian, we invite you to take communion. The protocol is real simple. The trays will come down through the rows. The tray of matzo will come first, then the juice. Take one each of those elements. Hold on to them. We want to wait till everybody's served. And then once everyone is served, I'll come back. We'll take communion together. Use the intervening time while all the rest of the congregation is being served. To reflect on your own relationship with Christ, your own life, what he has done for you in terms of his death and his resurrection and the hope of his soon coming. The bread and the cup speak to us of Jesus' body and blood. The sacrifice he made for us that we may have life. The tragedy is that sometimes, many times indeed, we, we're not having life. We're not seeing good days. The days that he meant for us to see. He means for us to know this life. It means for us to believe trust him to commit to him so he told his disciples he tells us the same thing Because so we take these elements we we're remembering him and his death we're remembering also what what comes to us and that we we can really have life but we also are called to reflect life aren't we be a radically different people. We should do good. We should be doers of good. And as we look forward to His coming again and as we have been faithful, we will hear, well done, good and faithful Julie. What a joy to be a Christian. Again, we're brought we're brought back together as a body, we're brought back to God's word, to his truth. We're reminded again, oh yes, Lord, yes. And our lives are focused on Him. As it should be. Amen. He said, This is my body. Take and eat. Lord, again, we reaffirm that we've taken you into us. As we eat this bread, we recognize that you said you are the bread of life. You are the source of our life. We need you. We trust you. You're all we need. We lift our cups. We're thankful, Lord, for the forgiveness of our sins thankful, Lord, that you don't hold our sins against us. Thank you, Jesus. To Jesus. Amen? Isn't it great? Don't you love it? Coming to church, being a Christian, studying God's word together, fellowshipping. Let's stand together. Alan has a special song for us. This is a beautiful song.